If you have your Bibles tonight, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, and um, we'll begin readings. We will be flipping around. It's not something I normally do, but we will be flipping around through the scriptures, and I hope the Lord will bless you tonight. I don't want to be like the uh, preacher I heard about the other day. He was had that inspiring sermon, and he got to the end of the, uh, that sermon, and he said with great authority, he says, if I had all of the beer in the world, so I would dump it into the river. And he made them think about it. And then he said, if I had all of the wine in the world, said I'd dump it into the river. Then with great enthusiasm, he said, if I had all of the whiskey in the world, I would dump it into the river. And he sat down, end of his sermon. The song leader came with a smile on his face. Say, will you turn with me to hymn number 365, Shall We Gather at the River? But I'm not going to sit down. Exodus chapter 12. The Bible is filled with books of similitudes, those things that have visible likeness about them. For instance, a simile, the Bible is filled with Similes, we sang of them tonight, and if you wouldn't mind that song, uh, Jesus, the Holy and Anointing, what can we sing that at the end of the service tonight? That is filled with similes. A simile is a figure of speech in which one thing is compared to another thing. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 25, it says, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Here, cold waters. Is, is, is compared to the good news from a far country. The Bible is filled with metaphors, uh, that figure of speech whereby one thing is called another. We'll be looking at tonight in John chapter 1. It said when uh, John referred to Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, a metaphor. The Bible is filled with allegories, which are prolonged metaphors or story, uh, uh, stories used in a metaphoric language. The Bible is also filled with parables. I don't need to elaborate on that. You know those stories that have earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning. We all know the parables of the lost coin, the sheep, and so forth. The Bible is also filled with types, an object or an event used to prefigure another object or event. And is also finally filled with emblems, those things that have a visible sign of an idea suggesting the idea by a common qualities or recognized association. For instance, when you got married, they held up a ring, and that ring showed a circle that there was no beginning and no ending. The ring was a circle of eternity. It was an emblem of eternity. We have also um, the dove is an emblem of peace. An eagle is an emblem of power. The cross is an emblem of Christianity. Tonight we're going to look at a couple of emblems that are illustrated into the Bible and that will share with us this central focus that we are looking at, that Christ is the reason that we are here each and every time. In our reading tonight, we will look at both the Lamb, as John spoke about, which is an emblem of Jesus Christ. We'll also look at the dove, which is an emblem of the Holy Spirit, or as we know, as a third person of the Trinity, of the triune God. In the book of Exodus, chapter 12, 
We are looking at the tenth plague that is being bestowed upon the, the people of Israel, the children of Israel. Remember, the children of Israel had been in bond, uh, been in, in Egypt for some four hundred years. The last half of this time, for some two hundred years, they had been in, in slavery, bondage, and now they were crying out to God and and asking God to free them from this bondage. And God raised up some raised up a man in Moses. And, and sent Moses forth to deliver the people, the children of, out of Israel. So in this reading tonight, this occasion that we will read about tonight is the night before the great deliverance of the people of Israel, of the children of Israel. So we read in chapter 12, verse number 1. The Lord said to Moses, he spoke, God spoke these things to Moses and Aaron, and here they're going to speak it to the people. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. This month shall be for you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. Now he's going to give them the instructions of what to do in the Passover. Tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb... And he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And ye take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, four days later. And when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs, in twilight, they shall kill their lambs between the sunset and the sunrise. So now in verse number seven, he's indicated, this indicates that they had followed the instructions that Moses and Aaron had given to them. He says, then shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lentils of the house in which they eat and they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its heads with its legs and its inner parts. And ye shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. For it is the Lord's Passover. In other words, it should be treated as holy. Just as we partake of the emblems of communion on twice a month, when we take that bread, and it is of sacredness, of holiness, that we hold that bread up, it is a symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. We also take that cup of, of the wine that is a symbol, an emblem of the blood of Jesus Christ. We do it with holy and reverence. It's not a time to play around. It's a time to be treated as holy. And this is what he's saying in this Lord's Passover. Shall be treated as a holy time. And then he says in our key verses, 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all of, God, all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. These are the central words, the central purpose 
of this plague so that the people will know that this is not anybody else's doings. This is not the king's doings. This is not the people's doings, but this is the Lord's doings. You can depend on it. You can count on it. This is of God, and this is the Lord's doings. And then he says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, we thank you for the reading of the word. And we thank you that the words that you will continue to share within our heart tonight. And Father, it's not by our might, not by our power, but it's by the Spirit of God that we speak these words tonight, that they are holy and anointed of you. In your name we pray, and everyone says, amen. So let's recap what we just read here. On the 10th day of the month, as we have seen, each family is to set apart that kid or that lamb, better known as the Paschal Lamb, it is that lamb that is of one year old. It cannot have a blemish on it. And here they are to, to take this lamb, and if there's too many people, if there's not enough people in the house, they're to join in with another family, and they are to gather around at the table of this sacrificial lamb. And um, four days after the selection of the lamb, between sunset and, and, and sunrise, it is to be killed. And then the instructions are that you shall sprinkle the blood on the doorpost, and the lentil suggests that the household we're hiding behind is to escape the stroke of the destroying in, uh, angel. And the feast within the door suggests that Jehovah had condescended to eat with his people and become their guests. So each household was a temple at this time. Each father had become a priest at this time, and each firstborn son was to be saved at this time. So here they are in this house. They have their lamb, their paschal lamb, their one-year-old lamb. They're gathered around the table. As the scripture says, they're all dressed. They're ready to go. They're gathered around looking at the lamb. All right, when I read these scriptures, I like to get that visual mind. All right, I want you to hang on to this mind. We're around this table. We have this lamb that is to be sacrificed. The point was this. The point was this. When the lamb was exalted, deliverance came. Okay? We're going to look at it in a minute. They're not looking around. Where are all eyes feasted? On the lamb. They're looking at the lamb. And when they looked at the lamb, when they followed the instructions that was given by Moses and Aaron, then and only then did the deliverance come. They saw the blood on the, the lintel and the doorpost. They knew to pass over that house. They had followed the instructions. Their firstborn son was saved. And here these people were delivered, and they were ready to be led out of the land of Egypt. John chapter 1 says, The next day John, seeing Jesus coming unto him, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You see, when you get... When you hear you got the big C word, the cancer word, you know, you don't go and, 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 and the first thing we do as Christians, we want to get close to Jesus then, don't we? You know, it, it seems like everything else is peripheral. When we hear that, it's time to get closer to Jesus. Last couple, a couple of weeks ago, I flew out to Las Vegas, not to gamble, okay? Not to, not to have fun. I went to work, Scout's Honor. I went to Las Vegas 
And I'm getting worse and worse and worse about flying. I don't know why. I think my wife's rubbing off on me. But the whole time I'm flying, folks, brother, I don't have my eyes on nobody else but Jesus. Lord Jesus, get us through this plane. You know, this is a long four-hour trip. Lord, help me get there. Lord, help me. And when they finally say, buckle your seatbelts, we're coming down, it's hallelujah. We've made it, you know. And when you hear that skid, you know, those brakes going on that runway. But that's, when we get in these opportunities, we want to get close to Jesus. When we hear, I remember during the first Gulf War, several years ago, churches were filled to capacity in the United States. The church I was pastoring at that time in Panama City, Florida, all of a sudden we had a great influx of people because they thought this was it, you know, this was the big one. This was the time that Jesus was coming. So what, what did everybody want to do? They wanted to get closer to Jesus. They wanted to get in that position where they were ready for Jesus and his return. Of course, that didn't last long. In a few weeks, they were all back doing their normal business. But this was the focus of this lamb, that Jesus, that, that the lamb was a central focus. And when they concentrated, when they put their eyes on the lamb and focused on the lamb, then deliverance came. Now, I want you to turn with me back over to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at another emblem tonight. Just so you know, we're going to go back to Genesis. Luke chapter 3. You have to bear with me. I have a new Bible and pages stick. Luke chapter 3. John is baptizing by the Jordan River. And he says in verse number 21. Now when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized, remember Mark, Matthew speaks about this, Mark speak of, speaks about this, Matthew, I believe it was, that Jesus, uh, that John said, Lord, I'm not worthy to baptize, you should be baptizing me. But here all three share this, this portion of scripture, Jesus also being baptized and was praying the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove, the emblem. Here is the dove. Matthew speaks about this. Matthew says the same words. The heavens opened. The Holy Spirit came and descended upon Jesus like a dove. Mark says the same thing. And the voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. I want you to go back with me to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. If you don't know, that's page number 1. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, verse number 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the, uh, over the, face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see where it says without form and void? That simply means that it was chaotic at that time. When you see the words without form of voice, simply means chaotic. These same words were used in the 34th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And, we're, and, and the book of Isaiah to delineate the judgment of God upon the nation's sin. This is how one of my favorite writers, W.A. Criswell, uh, uh, dissects this portion of, of Scripture in his book, uh, The Holy Spirit in Today's World. W.A. Criswell was a great pastor of the uh, Dallas First, Bab uh, First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas for many, many years. And, and W.A. Criswell refers back to the, uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 34. 
And the entire chapter of the book of Isaiah, uh, of the 34th chapter of Isaiah, is a preview and a type of what Jehovah will do in the day of our Lord. In other words, in the beginning, it says that the Spirit moved. You see the word there? It says it moved. And then in the 34th chapter of Isaiah, he speaks about the preview of the destruction at the battle of Armageddon and what's going to happen. So in the beginning, the spirit moved. And in the ending, when the destruction of the world comes, the spirit is going to move. And it says that the spirit of God was what? Some Bibles say moving. My Bible says hovering. Because the, the translated word here, the Hebrew translated word for moved is to flutter, or to hover, or to brood. First the Spirit, as a dove descends, and then it follows the blessedness of the power of God upon the earth. You see, the Spirit of God began to move, and then what happened in verse number 3? He said what? Let there be light. The Spirit of God began to move, and then the power came, and then there was light. You can see the illustration also if you flip over. A few pages of chapter 8. Some of you saying, where in the world is he going tonight? Genesis chapter 8. I want to get you to the point in just one minute. But to understand this, to understand we need to search the scriptures tonight. Genesis chapter 8. There's a story of Noah and the ark. We all know the story. Verse number 6. And the end of 40 days, Noah opened the door of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. You see that raven? He didn't care. He would feed on the floating carcasses that were in the water. He would feast on those things. He, he was an unclean animal, an unclean bird. And the, the, he, he would feast on the dead carcasses that were out there. But the dove, then they sent forth the dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. But the first time he sent on the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and he took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove the second time. And he sent him out of the ark, and the dove came back to him. And the evening and beheld in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters have subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days. And the third time he sent him forth and the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. So then Noah knew that the dove had found cleanliness. He knew that the dove had found a place to rest. And he knew that the water had subsided in a, in a proper manner. The spirit of the world feeds upon the corruption that is before us, the uncleanliness the iniquity, but the spirit of Christ is gentleness. The spirit of Christ is harmless. The spirit of Christ is loving. All of those fruits of the spirit is what the dove was feeding on. The first dove, no resting place. The second dove, no resting place. The third dove found a resting place. So folks, this is my point. It is with our Savior, just as in the baptism of this text, that our Lord went through the waters of deep judgment. The representative man bearing the sins of the world, condemned by the law as a sinner, becoming sin for us, and was slain and buried before he was raised. And then what? And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. In other words, 
The Savior must go through the Jordan River of God's judgment of, upon sin and dark, swollen rivers before he can sin before us, us, me, you, all of us, before he can send before us the ascension of the gift of the Holy Spirit. He first must carry captivity captive before he can give unto his men gifts. There must be death, burial, and resurrection before there can be the descent of the Spirit. Before Christ gave himself up to death for our sins, he is able to bestow upon us, 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 the Holy Spirit. What is my focus here tonight? It's all about Christ. Did you hear it this morning? How many of you were here this morning? If you weren't here, don't raise your hand. If you heard it this morning, it's all about Jesus. It's not about the peripheral things in our lives. Each and everything that we do and each and every service is all about Christ. The Lamb of God must die. Jesus had to die. This Holy Spirit was on his shoulder. John said it. The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit, the dove, came and rested upon his shoulder. But Jesus had to die so that we could receive the same Holy Spirit, this same third person of the Trinity, that same one that indwells with us, within us. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we make that commitment to Jesus Christ, then and only then do we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it only happened because Jesus gave his life. And then you want to know why you've preached about Jesus so much. Why you focus so much on Jesus. Because everything that we do and say is about Jesus Christ. If there can be no Calvary of substitution, there can be no Pentecost of blessing. The third person of the Trinity. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the singing. It's not about the pews. It's not about if it's hot or cold in here. It's not about if it's loud or soft in here. It's all about Jesus Christ. It doesn't make a difference if this place is full or if there's a few faithful ones that are here tonight. No matter what, it all comes back to Jesus. It's not Pastor Terrence and his pink shirts. Not Brother Brad. My wife made me wear a tie. I tried to get away without wearing a tie tonight, but she wouldn't let me. It's all about Jesus. In Christ's death for us, the judgment upon sin is past. The storm has exhausted itself. The Holy Spirit takes up his abode in us, even in us who are the mystical body of Christ. There's a story about the man who was on the ship. And he got up early in the morning. He rushed up to the captain. And he said, Captain, said the heavens are angry. The seas, they're like mountains today. The sky is lowering. He says, the great storm is coming. And the captain says, no, that the storm is past. This is just the aftermath. We're safe now. We're safe, folks. We're all safe. We think all life is just hills and storms and valleys and mountaintops. No. All of that's past. Jesus did all of that on Calvary. We're all safe now when we put our hope in Jesus Christ. So as thus with those who lived in the finished work of the death of our Savior and who received the Holy Spirit in their hearts, the storm of judgment upon our sin is past. The dove from the ark found a resting place when the waters of judgment assaged. John chapter 1 says in John Bear records saying, 
I saw the, the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. The Greek word for abode is meno, to dwell. Remember in the Old Testament, what did the Holy Spirit do? Just fluttered around. It just hovered around. It found no resting place. But in the New Testament, the dove rested upon Christ. It abode upon his shoulder. And the perfect representative man and through him upon all of us who believe in him. The Holy Spirit is with us. Meta. It is with us. He is our comforter. He is our companion. He is our guardian helper. He is that one that is with us through thick and thin. The Holy Spirit. You see, listen. The central theme that runs through the, all of these books, that we, the, all of these verses of Scripture that we had read tonight declare that Jesus Christ is both the center and the circumference of all divine revelation and experience. You take Jesus out of the Bible, and the whole superstructure would fall flat on his face. You take Jesus out of the Bible, and the tabernacle, we become meaningless. The tabernacle, everything in the tabernacle was significant, was a symbol of Jesus Christ. If you take all of that out, the tabernacle was just a building standing there. If you take Jesus out of the Bible, the law would lead to futility, saying, be, you as, be ye as holy as I am holy, but providing no way to be holy. If we took Jesus out of the Bible. If we took Jesus out of the Bible, death would be a foreboding journey for each and every one of us into a land of uncertainty from which there would be no return. But the word of God says, because, but because I know him who is to know is to have life and life everlasting, I have no fear of the grave because why? I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I have no fear tonight. I can go to bed tonight. I can die tonight. Praise God, I'll have victory with Jesus because I know him. And because the Holy Spirit rests upon me, all because of what he did at Calvary tonight. But Christ, Christ, the Lamb, illuminates all. You see, folks, when you lift Jesus, the Spirit of God is illuminated in our lives. You don't do things that you used to want to do. You don't say things that you used to say, you don't think things that you used to think. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is indwelled within our heart when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. On the first Passover night, the center of traction in every household and the land of Goshen was that lamb. The people were not looking around. Go back to that picture I told you. Get around that table Everybody is gathered around that table. The sacrificial lamb is in the center of that table. The people are dressed. They have their clothes on. They have their armor on. They have their sandals strapped to their feet. They have their spears in hand. But they're not looking outside to hear if the Roman soldiers, uh, hear if the soldiers are, are stomping down the road. They're not looking around to, to see all of the peripheral things that are in the house. Every eye is on the lamb. Why? Because when the lamb is exalted, deliverance came. Folks, when we come into this house of God, everything ought to be looking to the Lamb of God and exalting the Lamb of God. And when we do that, the Lamb, the dove, will surely come. 
but they were gathered around the table. We sit in church and we look around. We want to pick at everything but the one and only thing that is important to us. We want to look around the building. Boy, they didn't finish this concrete work tonight, this week. Boy, the preachers gained weight this week. Amen. Boy, that, that choir was off key this morning. That, that choir, you know, they just didn't quite get up to par today. Boy, that air conditioner was cold this morning. Boy, I had my suit on and I was still a little chilly. We could have saved money this morning. The sound system, my folks, when I was pastoring one time, we had quite of a large church. And we had this lady, only one in the church of some 500 people. She fussed about the sound system each and every week. One time she would sit here. That wasn't good enough. She would sit in the middle, thought that might be better. She would sit in the back here. She would sit in the balcony. She sat everywhere she could because she was the one and only one that said that sound was too loud. One day, folks, no lie, she came with cotton in her ears. I mean, you would believe in evolution if you saw this woman, like she had hair growing out of her ears because she was determined she was going to stop this, this sound system from hurting her ears. And to be honest with you, she left the church. You know why? Because she couldn't deal with the sound system. The one and only person of 500 that couldn't deal with the sound system, too loud for her, left the church. But you see, if she would have been focusing on the lamb, exalting the lamb, we could have turned that system up as loud as you want, and she would have never known it. Why? Because when we go to the house of God, it's not about who's preaching tonight. It's not about who's singing tonight. It's all about Jesus. Did you hear that this morning? Well, you heard it again tonight. The lamb has to be exalted. The lamb was exalted, honored, and the dove of the Spirit came. John recognized Jesus as a lamb of God. And I don't even know if I'm going to get to my sermon tonight. John recognized Jesus as a lamb when he baptized him. And the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The Paul, and Paul, as he traveled through Asia Minor, he preached Christ. And he exalted the Lamb, and the dove of the Spirit came, confirming the word with signs and wonders. Listen, when Christ Jesus becomes the center of our lives, then and only then the dove of the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within our life and will dwell within each and every heart that is here tonight. Do you believe that? Say amen. If you don't believe it, say amen. I don't have a problem with it. But you know what? Just like Pastor said, it's the Word of God. Did I say it right? It's the Word of God. That's what the Word of God said. The dove will come when we exalt the name of Jesus. The big question is, the big question is, how do we keep Jesus Christ at the center of each and everything that we do? It's a big question. But it's something that has to be addressed. How do we keep Jesus Christ at the center of everything that we say and do? Simply just said what I just said, by exalting the Lamb. John chapter 12, and I, Jesus is speaking here, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. If I will just exalt Jesus, the Word of God will go forth. If I will just magnify Jesus, the word of God will be betrayed. If I'll just share Jesus, the word of God goes forth as a mighty power, two-edged sword, cutting here and two. If we will only lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I'll take care of it from there. 
I will draw all men. If you'll just do your part and magnify Jesus, then I'll draw all men to him. Four quick points, then we're out of here. How do we keep Jesus at the center of our, uh, of our worship tonight? Number one, the lamb is exalted when his word is preached. The lamb is exalted when his word is preached. You see, folks, that's why Pastor Lee is so convicted about teaching the word of God. The word of God, it, it, thus saith the Lord. That's why one thing I like about the King James Version, it stresses, thus saith the Lord. It's not man's talking, thus saith the Lord. It's not the time to, it's not to, I'm not here to preach to be a people pleaser, I'm not, but I'm here to preach to be a God pleaser. I think you said it when you started this book of 1 Corinthians. You said, I'm not here, I may rub some people wrong. It might not appease everyone what I'm here to say tonight, but I'm not here to appease everyone. I'm here to please God, and I'm here to preach the word of God. The lamb is exalted. When we preach the word of God, that's one of the problems that we see in a lot of these liberal churches that we have nowadays. They go and they tell people, you can do it your way, you know, Burger King style. Have it your way. Do it how you want to do it. But they boast, hey, man, we doubled our, our, our morning service. We have twice as many people than we did a year ago. But are you preaching the word of God? Is it going to stick? Is it going to dwell within their heart? Is the Holy Spirit dwelling in, in them? Are they doing the things on Monday through Saturday that they're doing on Sunday? Boy, that stepped on toes, didn't it? But that's the way a lot of so-called Christians are living. They think they can do this Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday, let's go to church. We went to church. Have it your way. Burger King style. Thus saith the Lord, it's not by might, it's not by power, but what? By my spirit, saith the Lord. It's all about the word of God. I'm not talking about the airing of opinions. I'm not talking about the emotions of men. I'm not talking about the one who can sweat the most, who can wet the most rags on a Sunday morning, who can preach for an hour or two. I'm not talking about that, folks. I'm not, some people say, preacher, why you preach so loud? I don't preach loud. I'm just excited about Jesus. I just get happy about Jesus. I, I need to get a little lump in my step, as he said this morning, you know? But it's not about who can preach the loudest, who can preach the quietest, who can preach the shortest, who can preach the longest. It's about preaching the inspired, authoritative word of God. The lamb is exalted when the word of God is preached. You see, Peter Preached the word when he said, turn with me to, let's, let's just flip over. Book of Acts, chapter 2. Peter preached. In the book of Acts, chapter 2. I'm about done. Peter preached in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse number 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. What he's saying is it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Even drunk people, people who drink, don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. I don't know. It may be true some nowadays, but anyway. But this is what was uttered through the, through the prophet Joel. And then the last days, and if you go back to the book of Joel, you'll see these exact words. The last days I will, um, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will do what? Pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. If you want to know if you're young or old, just go to the Word of God. If you're dreaming, you're old, okay? Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will do what? Pour out my spirit and prophesy. Jump down to verse number 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that, with, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jump down to verse number 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all afar off, everyone whom the Lord of our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received what? What did he receive? The word. Those who received what? The word. What word? The word of God. Those who received the word were baptized. And they were added how many? 3,000. What happened was they sought the Spirit in the last days. Joel's talking about pouring out the Spirit upon the flesh. When they sought the Spirit, when they seek the Spirit, when they exalted the Lamb of God, as they did in verse number 32, when they exalted the Lamb of God, and when they did what? Preached the Word. What happened? 3,000 were saved for the glory of God. Can you say amen to that? Why were they saved? Because the word was preached. The word was preached. In our day, there is an impassionate cry for expository preaching. This is unquestionably one of the hardest kinds, but it pays the highest dividends. And it exalts the lamb. And then the dove of the spirit will come and rest in each and one of our lives. Second thing is the lamb is exalted when his name is honored. The lamb is exalted when we preach the word. The Lamb is exalted when His name is honored. What did Jesus say in this prayer when He says, what? Our Father. He didn't say now, my Papa. He didn't say, my old man. What did He say? Our Father, which art in heaven. If you cry, give me Lord, give me Lord, and do not to receive, you ought to try saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We need to seek the blesser and not the blessing. We need to seek the giver and not the gift. You see, there's something humbling about it when we reach out and give honor to the name of Jesus. When we lift our eyes up to Jesus, thus saith the Lord. When we focus our eyes on Jesus, just as he said this morning, when we pray, when we pray, boy, I used to love to hear my granddad, not the one that was a preacher, my granddad, my dad's dad. He was about 90 when he died. But man, to hear, and he had no education whatsoever. But boy, when he prayed, it was just like he was reading out of the book, of, uh, out of the Bible. I mean, he said with such eloquence, our Father, my heavenly Savior. And he said it with such passion and such enthusiasm. Why? Because the name of Jesus should be honored. We should exalt the name of Jesus. He's not our Papa. He's not our old man. He is our father.
the lamb is exalted when our motives are right. You remember that from this morning? I didn't copy a sermon. Our lamb is exalted when our motives are right. This is a word of caution. Religious pride is as sinful as any other kind of pride that we know. Please remember here, we are dealing with the one who knows what our true motives are. He not only hears what we say, but he also knows whether we meant it or not. He not only sees what we do, but he sees whether we're doing it for self-advertisement or for the Lord to glorify the Lord of Christ. Are our motives right when we sing, when we get before the congregation? Boy, I've seen them who can beller it out. I've seen them before. But their motives weren't right. They wanted to know how did it sound? Did I hit that high note? Did I dress right when I sang that? Folks, it's not about that. It's all about are our motives right. When we exalt the Lord, listen, we must desire spiritual blessing for Christ's glory, not ours. Our motives must be right. It's not about what one does, but it's about why he does it. And finally, the lamb is exalted when our lives are surrendered. I don't need to explain that. You fully understand. When we come and we say, Lord, I'm nothing without you. I give my life to you. Oh, I've been saved for 30 years. It doesn't matter. Every day, folks, we ought to say, Lord, I'm yours. I surrender my life to you. Folks, when the lamb is exalted, the dove will come and rest upon our lives. Every time we walk through those doors, every time the music starts in this sanctuary, all eyes should be to Jesus. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Who's guilty? I'm just as guilty as anybody. I preach this sermon to myself over and over and over and over and over again because I, too, need to look to Jesus and everything that we say or do. I close with these words with Jack Taylor. He said, I looked to Jesus, and the dove of the Spirit flew into my heart. I looked at the dove, and he flew away. I looked at Jesus, and revival fires began to burn. I looked at revival fires, and they went out. I looked at Jesus, and the healing waters began to flow. I looked at the healing, and the waters dried up. I looked to Jesus and became prosperous. I looked to prosperity and became poor. Simon Peter looked at Jesus and began to walk on water. Then he looked at the water, and he began to sink. As a young preacher, I looked at Jesus, and God lifted me up and put a rock under my feet and opened doors for me that I never could imagine. I had just been preaching for a short time, and one of the greatest preachers that I ever knew came and laid his hand on my shoulder and said, Son, it took me years before I could ever preach that well. I don't say that to boast. That was my granddaddy. He was probably a little prejudiced. He was the greatest preacher that I ever knew. He rested his hand and he said, son, it took me 10 years to even come close to preaching that well. But the Lord spoke to me and said, son, don't look at your accomplishments. 
Terrence, remember this, brother. Don't look at your accomplishments. Recognize the fact that it's Jesus, the Son of the living God. He is the one and the only one. Don't look at your successes, folks, or you'll surely fail. But look at Jesus, and you'll always prevail. 45-minute sermon, just to tell you, it's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's not one thing of what I said tonight. I just gave you the Word of God. And for 45 minutes, the Word of God just said, it's not about Brad. It's about me. I'm the one who went to the cross. I'm the one that went to John and said, John, will you baptize me? And the heavens opened. And the Spirit came. The emblem came and rested. And folks, there can be a great move of God. Or we can just go through meetings each and every week. But I think everybody wants to see a great move of God. I think everybody wants to see 3,000 souls saved. But it happened when everyone looked to Jesus. When they focused on the Lamb, deliverance came. When we look to Jesus, deliverance will come in our lives. Deliverance will come in those outside of these walls. It's all about Jesus tonight.